It's time for Supply Chain Now. Broadcasting live from the supply chain capital of the country, Atlanta, Georgia. Heard around the world, Supply Chain Now spotlights the best in all things supply chain. The people, the technologies, the best practices, and the critical issues of the day. And now, here are your hosts. Hey, good morning. Scott Luton and Greg White with you here on Supply Chain Now. Welcome to today's show. Greg, good morning. How you doing? I'm doing very well. And it is still morning, isn't it? Man, it feels again like it's been a whole day already, right? We start so early now. <laughs> That's right. Well, it has been gorgeous weather has. here across the metro Atlanta area, and, and, and it feels like fall and football weather is here. But, hey, we're going to warm everybody up with a great conversation. We've got three outstanding organizations yeah. that are doing a ton of great work in the local and the greater community for sure. And today's episode is all about continuing our Logistics with Purpose series, which is very apropos. So it's powered by our friends at Vector Global Logistics who are very passionate about changing the world. And the series focuses on folks that are changing the world in some way, shape, or form and that are passionate about doing so. So we've got a wonderful conversation teed up. Quick programming note, Greg, before we get started, if folks enjoy this conversation, where should they go to learn more? Let's have them go to wherever they get their podcast from, Scott. YouTube. Where else can they go? I, that's <laughs> soon, where else is there now, really? <laughs> soon to be refurbished and reinvigorated supplychainnow.com website. Oh, that's so we're right. looking forward to that. And by the way, if we all had a quarter for every time we heard that phrase, wherever you get your podcast from, we would we <laughs> we'd be sitting pretty on a beach somewhere right now, maybe. I right? wonder yeah, I wonder if there are people who don't know where that where to get their podcast from, but <laughs> If you've got an iPhone, Apple Podcasts, and if you've got an Android phone, Google Cast. It's just so that easy. It's, it's that simple. <laughs> Scott, did you know that like 66% of people who listen to our shows listen on a mobile device? So when you see people with their headphones in, they're not listening to music. They're probably listening to somebody talk, right? They're increasing their leadership IQ, no doubt about it. There you that's go. what we're going to do here with this conversation with these guests. I want to welcome in our three featured guests here today, Kari Love, CEO with the Atlanta Women's Foundation. Kari, how are you doing? Doing great. Thanks for great. having me. Great to have you here. I've been admiring the work your organization's been doing for quite some time. Also, Jamie Dorsey, CEO, the Center for Black Women's Wellness. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Scott. Thanks for having me. It is so neat to have you here as well. It's, it's always neat to see the, the, the connections between the connections, and we're going to talk more about that. And then, of course, repeat guest, big friend of the show, Jordana Crow, Director of Strategic Alliances and Community Affairs at the one and only Spin Management Experts. Jordana, how are you doing? Doing great, Scott, Greg. Thanks for having me. Kari and Jamie, I'm so happy to be here with you. Outstanding. Okay, so we're, we're really excited about this conversation, about the work you do and, and the relationships there, but... Greg, before we get there, we need to find out uh, about each of these three panelists and, and kind of dive in a little bit about their backstory. So, Kari, I want to start with you. Tell us about where you're from and give us an anecdote or two about your upbringing a bit. I am a native Atlantan, born here and raised here, went to the University of Georgia, go dogs, and um, came back um, home to uh, begin my career. I started out in radio. So this is a little bit of a familiar format for me. After a few years of uh, working in, in radio and doing promotions and marketing work, decided to really follow my passion and began my career in, um, in nonprofit work. 
and, which I've done for the last 20-ish years now. And as far as an anecdote, I would, it just, it relates to my career. I've been fundraising since I was a little girl. It started really um, early for me as, you know, selling Girl Scout cookies. And um, I'm really going to date myself now, but doing fundraisers, collecting, going door to door, collecting funds for the Jerry Lewis telethon. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) A long time ago. And so anyway, um, even in my years in college, I was a philanthropy chair for my sorority doing a big tennis tournament um, at the University of Georgia. And then um, even in my, my years in radio, we did radio thons. And um, so I feel like I've been fundraising for an awful long time and um, <laughs> finally have been able to, you know, turn that into, um, you know, my career. So anyway, Outstanding. a little bit, a little bit about me. Well, you know, to move the needle, you, you, you got to have the wherewithal to do it and, and really appreciate your expertise there. And you mentioned Girl Scout cookies. I'm not going to be able to get thin mints off my mind over the next couple of hours. <laughs> Sorry. Well, thank you. All right. So we're going to circle back to on a key mentor and advocate, but let's move along to Jamia. Jamia, tell us about your, you know, where you're from and, and give us a key anecdote or two about your upbringing. I am originally from Brooklyn, New York, but have been in Atlanta, I moved to Atlanta back in 94, so I have spent most of my adult life in Atlanta, so I consider myself a Georgia apple, a little bit of both. (laughs) I, you know, Atlanta is near and dear to me. I was here for a couple of years prior, and, and then I just literally stumbled upon the Center for Black Women's Wellness, and when I stumbled upon it, I fell in love. I, when I was in New York, I was doing work around educational um, policy and educational evaluation. And I knew there was a yearning for me to get into community grassroots orga- organizations. Um, and so when I learned about the center and, and, and came to Atlanta, it's just I've been there ever since in different capacities. So kind of on a personal note, I think the reason why I kind of fell into nonprofit work, probably from my parents. My mom initially was an educator. She was a teacher. I was in elementary school when she eventually went to law school. So I think from that, I realized that women can just do anything they want to do, and they can change course. And so that gave me a lot of courage. And also, there was just always this connection to grassroots causes and community and caring about those who needed support, especially with young people. So I think that's really kind of what got me to today. Love that. And, and we're going to dive in deeper to your organization and learn about all the good stuff you're doing there. But uh, do you miss the Brooklyn winners, Jamie? <laughs> I do not. So I, my, my family here, my husband and, and my son, we tend to always go to New York in the summertime, which although it's terribly hot in the summertime, and every now and again when we have to go to the winter, in the winter months, it's like, oh boy, I realize I do. I love the South. <laughs> you did the right thing, yes. You well, did. hey, I love the, the talented people from all walks of life that Atlanta brings here. It's like a magnet, so looking forward to it diving is. more into your organization. And, and thanks for sharing the inspiration that your mom is. That, that is outstanding. And we're going to circle back on mentorship momentarily. All right, so Jordana, Jordana Crow, repeat guest here. Tell us more about yourself, where you're from, and give us an anecdote that folks may not know about you. I was um, born in New York, uh, raised until I was four in Queens, Jamie, oh, and then okay. moved, out, yeah, moved out to Long Island. 
I came to Atlanta for college. I attended Emory University, graduated from there, right on the cusp of the 1996 Games. So I've completely dated myself. And I had the incredible opportunity to work for the Atlanta Committee for the Olympic Games. And I worked in athlete registrations. My job was to register the 10,000 athletes and the 5,000 team officials to their appropriate activities and events. It was an incredible opportunity. Obviously, was off and running sort of in that sense from a career perspective, being here and having contacts here and networking here. And, you know, I'll always call New York home, but I've been here for so long. It's just been a wonderful city for me to um, meet my husband, raise my family. So I've loved being here. I still love visiting New York, miss it since I have not been able to be back in a full year this point and hopefully that changes soon i like kari also sold girl scout cookies tread through the snow and ice by myself to get those sales so i was always committed and pushing you know to get you know to get what i wanted what i needed so yes i'm a fellow girl scout interesting anecdote i think i think the olympics was probably my interesting anecdote i never really knew what i wanted to do but fell into that had the opportunity to have that allow me to grow my career in client service, project management, events, et cetera. So that's kind of how I got to where I was, falling into it almost accidentally. Love that. And, and by the way, I'm, I'm, my wife and I, Amanda, have been checking out this new series on Netflix about uh, Richard Yule. And it's kind of like a, a, a series version of the, the Clint Eastwood movie that, that came out. And, and it's fascinating, some of the details there that I had no idea. So Nine Six Olympics certainly uh, iconic when it comes to uh, the city of Atlanta, putting it on the dot from an international standpoint too. Okay, so let's circle back really quick. Kari, all three of y'all kind of alluded to um, you know, your journey, your professional journeys, and and some of you spoke about uh, important figures. But what's one person in particular you point back to, key mentor, advocate that played a big role in your career? For me, I would say it was my dad. He um, he was an amazing example to me of Midwestern. My parents uh, moved down here in the early 60s from the, from Minnesota. And so hard work, you know, that was a very strong, you know, ethic for them. And so I, you know, obviously uh, my dad, similar to um, what Jamie was saying, you know, my mom or my dad said, basically, you know, you can be whatever you want to be. And I believed him. But it, the other thing is, you know, so important to follow your passions and um, use your gifts and talents. And when all of that aligns, that's when you find success. And so anyway, that was, those were some of the things that my dad, you know, that he shared with me and, and my brother. He, I'd say that he was, had such a, you know, huge influence on my life. Outstanding. What was your dad's name? Bob. Outstanding. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you sharing. Very meaningful. Okay, uh, so Jamia, you, you've talked about your mother, but who else maybe beyond your mother that played a key role in your journey? When I reflect on that, when I first got to the Center for Black Women's Wellness, I was in my early 20s, a long time ago, but I was really mentored by our former CEO, Cheryl Boykins. And I really had, I consider it a great privilege to have, you know, kind of sat at her feet for many years. She um, Always, she was really kind of a community organizer at heart, um, very committed to the community, very committed to wanting the community to be better. At the time, I was serving as a project assistant for a teen pregnancy prevention program. And at that time in the 90s, you know, teen pregnancy was 
such a big issue. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it still is, but at the, at the time it was, you know, um, so common just to see teen moms. And I was struck by this approach that the Center for Black Women's Moments had at the time, where it really was about organizing parents and other concerned adults in the community for them to be the ones to shape messages around reducing risky behavior. And to see Cheryl Boykins in that moment having these huge community meetings where you had, you know, moms and dads coming together and just, you know, talking about their uh, love for their community, their love for their children, their concerns, their fears. And I just marveled at it. And one of the key things that I continue to think about um, working under her was her commitment not only to the community but her staff. And especially in times like this with COVID and we all have gone through so much, you know, one of the things that I, you know, I've just knew immediately was that, you know, we've got to take care of our staff. You know, it's like, how do we make sure that we, in all of this, you know, the exhaustion of it, that we value self-care and value our people. And so, you know, I think about her often. I mean, she moved back to Florida when she retired, and I took her position around 15 years ago. But she really was such a trailblazer that she certainly was uh, – very is and continues to be so influential in my life. Love that. We got to help ourselves before we can really fully and effectively help others. And and that's we we've been had countless instances of of that lesson to be relearned and relearned through a challenging year like twenty twenty. So thanks so much for sharing uh, Cheryl's contributions there. All right. So Jordana, same question. I may have a hunch who you're going to share, but we'll see if you surprise me. Who who's a key mentor advocate in your career? I think I'm going to surprise you here. I'm going to share someone different from my previous podcast, and I'm going to go with my mom. And I think part of why I'm going with that, especially as it relates to the conversation we're having today, is my mom was born in the you know the late 30s in Europe, uh, war-torn Europe. She's a hidden child of the Holocaust. She eventually made her way to America through a series of incredibly fortunate and blessed events. And when she was being raised here in New York, she really wanted to go to college and do incredible things. And, and at that time, you went to college or school as a woman, and you either were a secretary, a nurse, or a teacher. And those are all incredible, noble, amazing positions. And my mom did go on to become a teacher. She was an incredible teacher, English, English, English as a second language. She was a Holocaust resource professor. But she always shared with me that you know, had she had the opportunity, given the chance, she thought she would have maybe gone to medical school, become Mm. a doctor, do some other things. And uh, she did go back while she was teaching. She got an MBA. She further educated herself. She's always taken additional courses, continued education. But one of the things she always passed on to me is that, um, much like Kari's dad said to her, you can be anything you want, but also I'm going to give you the access and the opportunity. If you work hard, we are in a blessed and fortunate situation to be able to give you what you need to go on the path that you want to be on. And that is super, super important because much of the incredible work that the Atlanta Women's Foundation and many of their grantee partners do is to provide that access and opportunity to women and girls that otherwise wouldn't have it. And I realize being raised by my mom and her not having those opportunities because it just wasn't what you sort of did at the time, that she gave me such tremendous power by offering me that access and that opportunity. Love that. Now, we dove deep into the story of Grace Hopper, which if you're 
a technologist or non-technologist, a fascinating figure from the 30s, 40s, and 50s, one of the world's first ever computer programmers, and considered by many to be uh, the mother of COBOL, which is one of the world's most successful computer programming languages, and she kept pushing. She refused to take no. She didn't have some of the access to it in a, that you spoke about, and, and her key idea was laughed at for three years, but she changed the face of technology and certainly computer programming from real resilience, not resilience you hear about, you know, talk about so much these days, but really refusing to, to back down from people that left their ideas and uh, just some, such an inspiration, uplifting story to hear, to combine with the three perspectives you've shared and, and the important figures in your journey. So thank you for uh, sharing each of that with our audience here today. All right. So Greg, Got to bring the, the MVP off the bench here back into the conversation. Greg, I think we're going to dive deeper into uh, the organizations that are represented here, right? You know, I'm just kind of reflecting on this conversation just so far. And, you know, it's interesting. It, it's, it is very Midwestern, of course. And I, and I realize elsewhere to be, to be told you can be anything you want to be, right? Man, woman, child, trailer trash, you know, whatever. <laughs> I mean, you, you can if you want to be, and and the wannabe is, Jordana, as you said, is do you want to work for it, right? And clearly, we've seen three examples here, and having three daughters, it's really encouraging. I love it when we do these episodes, because I can just point the girls at them and go, just watch this, <laughs> right? I mean, you, you could be all of these things. It's already that encouraging, but tell us a little bit, uh, you know, what we want to know is a little bit about each of your organizations and how you are giving forward, bringing good to the community. So, Kari, let's start with you and talk about kind of the mission and, and, and how the Atlanta Women's Foundation operates and you know, what, what's your purpose and what inspires you about it or what do you think it inspires in other people? So, the Atlanta Women's Foundation, um, our mission is to be a catalyst for change in the lives of women and girls. And the way that we do that is through our strategic grant making, which Jamie's uh, organization has been part of part of our strategic grant making, but also um, through um, leadership development of, of women. So, um, and those are the, really the two main ways that we um, ex execute our mission in, in the community. We raise funds from the community that we then reinvest back into local nonprofits for the strategic grant making, and we've been um, doing that since actually. We were started out as a fund of the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta in the 80s. And over time, um, you know, the folks, at, the founding mothers at that time, you know, decided that, gosh, there is, there's a lot of work to be done. And so we ended up um, spinning off and becoming our own 501c3 in 1998. Ever since then, we have been working to, again, bring change uh, to the lives of women and girls mostly in the area for most of our, our um, existence. It's been to help women and girls who are at or below 200% or at or below 200% of the poverty line. And, um, and we've done that in the, in the early years. It was we would send out an RFP. Um, lots of different organizations would um, send us um, you know, their proposals for different programs. Obviously, everything that we do has a gender lens on it because the needs and the issues that um, women and girls deal with are, are different than, than what men and boys deal with. And so, so everything that we do, again, is, is, um, 
is aimed to help women and girls um, you know, find their way out of, out of poverty to prosperity. But um, a few years ago, so we were kind of in the firefighting business. We'd get all of these different, um, you know, these different proposals in, and one was for, you know, a girls' mentoring program, or like Jamie, I was saying earlier, um, it might have been a teen pregnancy prevention and delay program, or maybe there was something for senior women, and we were kind of all over the place. We weren't as strategic as we needed to be, and so, you know, we were maybe, it was all great work that was being done, but when you talk about moving the needle and really being a force for some change that you can just that you can see and document and and really and have all these great success stories, um, we changed our model to um, what what we call a collective impact model, and where we've brought together cohorts of nonprofit organizations around an issue area. So we did some research back in 2012 and really to identify what, what, what are the issues that are holding women and girls in poverty. And it's probably no surprise, it's things like mental health, it's issues like transportation, uh, workforce development, soft skills that some women just don't have access to, education, higher education, and, and childcare. And so we decided we would tackle, start to tackle one of, you know, an issue area. And the first issue area that we decided to tackle was mental health. We had some, um, some significant funding that came in from Kaiser Permanente to do a two-year grant. And uh, the Center for Black Wel Women's Wellness was one, a part of that group. They were one of 10 organizations that we, we pulled together and said, okay, right now we have all of, all of you, all of us have this, this shared common agenda. We have objectives that we want um, you all to work towards. So as a group now, we think that we would be successful if we saw 3,000 women to make sure that they had mental health screenings and then if they had, were able to have um, you know, therapy services. And so anyway, we brought all of these organizations together um, with, and funded all of them so that they could uh, put together these programs. And the success was so incredible we by the by the first year we had already achieved some of the two-year outcomes and so we knew that this this approach was really um really worked and that we had also that we discovered that there, the need there's a need for this and that we had assembled the right organizations um, to really execute this so that's one side of uh, what we do and then the other part of again what i mentioned earlier was our women's leadership um, programs, you know, we, while we've helped women who are in poverty or economically vulnerable, there was a real need in the community for, you know, women who weren't economically vulnerable who wanted to, they had similar barriers, they were also dealing with mental health issues, um, child care is a huge barrier for women who, you know, are, again, aren't economically vulnerable, and, and then how to, you know, it's, you know, to be a community leader, you know, where do you start? How do you do that? It seems like it's sometimes, you know, it's easier for men because they're already in the boardrooms and they are already in the C-suite. And so there was a real need for some sort of a program that would help women um, to develop themselves personally, professionally, and philanthropically. Um, and that's the program that Jordana was a part of. Um, we call it Inspire Atlanta. And it's a six-month training program where um, women are able to um, to really again develop themselves in in those areas and in those ways, it's we teach them to fundraise. If you're going to be a community 
community leader, you have to know how to fundraise. Um, prepare you to sit on a board of directors. We did a poverty simulation so that there was um, understanding and empathy around the mental health issues that when you're so stressed and living in poverty, you know, what does that look like? What does that really feel like? And lots of other, you know, we do an HBDI um, and Enneagram so that you understand your yourself better. And anyway, so that's, um, that's who the Atlanta Women's Foundation is today. We are trying to be the, the Atlanta Women's Foundation for all women. It's been very well received, both of, both of the, again, the programs, whether it's on the strategic grant making side, the donors are able to see that their dollars are actually going further than mm -hmm. um, if, if, if you didn't fund in, in this kind of collaborative way. And again, and the women that um, we will have, we're getting ready to launch our fourth class of the Inspire Atlanta program. And um, it's really exciting to see the women who've graduated from that program already in the community, sitting on boards, changing. They, some of them have been um, promoted in their in their careers. And so it's um, it's been really exciting to see the fruits of all of um, the organization's, you know, efforts and labor. So that's a really not only inspiring, but it's a, that's a really uh, strong model, the cohorts of the types of impact entities that you deal with. I think what struck me immediately when you started talking about this was 200% of poverty level, right? I mean, everybody thinks poverty level and that that's not the limit. That's not the limit of struggle, right? Yeah. So yeah. Um, I think that honestly, that was a bit of an awakening for me to think of it, you know, in that regard. So I think that's a brilliant thing. And then also, of course, putting it all to action and and helping to elevate and enable women to take roles like that and to, um, you know, and to thrive in those areas and to break th through whatever it is, the mm -hmm. glass ceiling, the wood door, the whatever old boy network, whatever it is, and to really contribute and to succeed. So that's fantastic. Thank you. We've continued to use that model now across all of our grant making um, because it's, you know, it's so strategic and it's been so successful. So the other areas that we're currently, like barrier areas that we're currently funding in um, are is around workforce development mm. and also um, higher education and um, asset building. What was the last thing? Um, uh, it's our economic, it's our economic empowerment cohort. And so it's around higher education and asset building. Asset so buying a house, okay. oh, buying yeah. a house or investing in your 401k. Um, a lot of, a lot of women just, they don't know what they don't know. So. The only difference between women and men there is that we don't care that we know, we don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we just pretend like we do. Um, we'll give our secrets. Yeah, we? right. <laughs> We're all about transparency I here. I would agree. He'd, he'd, say, he'd say he's right there with y'all. <laughs> Well, thank you very much, Cara. That's really, that's helpful to understand. I think, uh, like I said, it's an inspiring model and I, I love what you guys are doing in the community. So, so since you, since you mentioned Jor Jordana, let's, uh, let's, and of course, Jamie, but let's go to Jordana and, and talk about what you're doing. I mean, of course, spend management experts, that's a commercial enterprise, but so much of what you do, I know this, Scott, because at the Georgia Logistics Summit, we always sat next to one another. So she she would always say, I'm here because John Haber can't be here. And <laughs> um, um, so anyway, we learned a lot about one another. So I, I know that's just, you know, your quote unquote day job is just part of, of what you do. And, and really a lot of 
a lot of what you do is working with these kind of entities. So tell us a little bit about how you work with, with Kari and, and Jamia and other organizations, and then, of course, the organizations you're directly involved in as well. And I'll start by saying, you know, that was a great opportunity for me at Georgia Logistics Summit for John to give me literally a seat at the table um, <laughs> where I had the opportunity to meet so many incredible individuals from a networking perspective that have continued to help me grow and learn and advance my career. And one of the things I would definitely say about our company, Spend Management Expert, first off, is a, is a strategic um, a strategic supply chain consulting company. So we're in the business of helping our clients to be, you know, to maximize their transportation distribution and fulfillment spending. That's what we do on a daily basis. But one of our core values as a company is to engage with our community. I'm extremely blessed to work at a place where that is a core value, where it's important to give back not only to the organizations that the company deems as wanting to participate in and have value in, but supporting philanthropic passions of everybody that works there, giving volunteer time, supporting financially with matching donations if there is a philanthropy that an employee is completely engaged with and, and interested in and passionate about. Mm -hmm. And so how we came to be involved with Atlanta Women's Foundation is several years ago, we received some information about the Numbers Too Big to Ignore Luncheon, which is this incredible fundraising opportunity that the Atlanta Women's Foundation puts on annually. It was virtual this year and still <laughs> equally incredible. And several years ago, yeah, Madeline Albright was going to be the speaker. And wow. John immediately said, absolutely, this is something we should support. We should buy a table. We should get everybody there who wants to be there. And that was sort of the beginnings of our relationship with Atlanta Women's Foundation was supporting numbers too big to ignore and having this incredible opportunity to hear such a phenomenal powerhouse of a woman. I mean, tiny in stature, just massive in every other way. And it was so incredible to um, hear her speak. Also, on that particular day, they were sharing about the Inspired Atlanta class, and I believe it was the graduation of the first Inspired Atlanta class had just happened. And immediately for me, that became something that I knew that I wanted to be a part of in my future because I've always been philanthropically involved, raising funds for school, um, you know, obviously donating when that was something that, you know, I was passionate about or it made sense. And, and, and wanting to raise myself to the next level personally. So I got involved. I applied for Inspire Atlanta, and I was very blessed and fortunate to be accepted. But to have the full support of my company and, you know, John Haber and Spend Management and my direct management team to say this is great for you to help you grow your career, we full, you know, we support it 100%, be a part of it, absolutely. And there are so many things I gained from that. I mean, it's just the most incredible experience. I mean, it's just powerhouse women all over the place. Access to incredible women that have achieved so much, overcome so much. Experiences like the poverty simulation really kind of take you out of your comfort zone and make you realize that I cannot believe there is so much of this happening in my own backyard, literally <laughs> 10 minutes away, 15 minutes away and taking for granted my ability to be and do and get to and get from and provide for my children and my family all the things that they need, the access they need, the just food, shelter, educational opportunity. So that's why I became involved. It was just an incredible experience. I am a graduate of the COVID class of 2020. 
super proud of what we were able to accomplish. It was so, I mean, there are so many women in those classes that have come from unbelievable experiences and become incredible successes, but also seeing what these grantee partners are doing. And what we did in COVID and what AWF did was we were supposed to be raising funds for the workforce development cohort. Initially, COVID happened just like everything else in this world. There was a pivot. They created the COVID-19 emergency relief fund. And that was to generate grants for these organizations when the entire world was shutting down. These organizations were not just keeping their doors opening open, they were enhancing their services which is just incredible and so inspiring. And so to be able to raise funds to support those needs was incredible. I had support from my company as well on my fundraising mission, which was incredible. So many friends, colleagues, family members who really, the reaction was that they could see I was so passionate about it and that inspired them to give. And that's a, there's amazing power when you have passion. And I think I talked about this last time I was on with you guys. Passion reads across a table, right? People want to work with people that they can see passion from, that they see authenticity from. And I think if you are truly passionate about something and you see it in the work that Kari and Jemia do, like who wouldn't want to support? Because you can see how much it means to people. I would also say that Spend management as a company, just in general, from a philosophy perspective, we are supporting a number of different organizations. And a lot of what we try to do is it is important to support the really big organizations as well. But there's real, real tremendous power and life-changing opportunity when you can support a philanthropy that maybe is a little lesser known, may not have as many corporate partners, and you make your donation and the level of impact and gratitude is profound because it may seem like a little on our part, but it really moves the needle or moves the mountain for them. So, you know, we definitely will evaluate anything that comes our way. We try our best to support from a financial perspective. We are trying to be out volunteering and we're always reevaluating what's out there. We're always happen, happy to listen to somebody give us a pitch of what's going on with their philanthropy and how we might help them. We work with organizations like um, Most Valuable Kids of Greater Atlanta, who gives t unused tickets to um, sporting events and theater events and, you know, gives those tickets to kids that would never otherwise have those opportunities and experiences. They have tons of partners under their umbrella. We have Braves tickets. We often pass off those Braves tickets to MVK to pass on to their partners and receive thanks from people saying, like, this is the first game I've ever been to, or my mom and I got to go, or the mom saying, take my son for an incredible experience that we wouldn't have had otherwise. And, you know, you don't know, but you hope that at some point when somebody has an experience like that affiliated with you, you may have changed the trajectory and the course of what they see for themselves and how they feel about themselves. So we work with MBK. We have supported Leukemia and Lymphoma Society Student of the Year, helping those young individuals who want to become leaders in their community. And they've taken on the opportunity to raise funds for LLS, and we will support them. Um, we support CHOA. We have supported um, Junior Achievement of Atlanta, uh, a myriad of different philanthropies that we are trying to support and give what we can when we can. And for me, ultimately, the goal is really to just help to change the trajectory for someone down the line, whatever it is that we give. MVK, we can't give tickets right now. Obviously, none of that's mm -hmm. really happening. We are still partnering with them. 
we are in the process of doing, you know, some hygiene packs for some of their partners that will go to the to kids in need. So our company in general is just civic minded and philanthropic in nature. It's a wonderful place for me to be able to be. Again, our business is helping our clients and helping people. And it has just been it, truly life changing to be a part of that Inspire class and be part of AWF and, you know, continuing to participate and be a part of that because, you know, the women that are coming out of the program that we're doing are amazing and doing things. There are several women in my class that changed the course of what they are doing with their life because they felt so empowered and impacted. Some going back to school, some taking on new opportunities in their job, like Kari said earlier. And I also firmly believe, you know, you got to see it to know that you can be it. Mm -hmm. So when people can see women doing these things, they can aspire, they know that they can aspire to do those things and it's achievable. Jordana, I have missed sitting next to you. <laughs> you. Your passion comes across so clearly, like you said. I think it's, you know, I think it's great that you're at a company that not only participates itself, but nurtures that in, in each and every one of you. Um, and, you know, clearly you've gotten deeply engaged in, in some of these things, and that is so powerful. I, you know, I've always believed that when you get involved in philanthropic organizations, I'm kind of like a fundraising hitman. So when I joined the ALS Association, um, the chairman of the board said, I can see it's going to be impossible to, for people not to give money when you say, put a crowbar in your wallet. So, so <laughs> that's my job. But, but I, you know, I think getting engaged, actually getting involved with, you know, at, at the ground level, seeing people struggle, helping them to elevate themselves and then seeing them succeed, that's so powerful. And, I, you know, I'm a full, firm believer that you, you get tenfold what you give. So thank you for sharing that. It's all uh, fantastic stuff. And I think, you know, I think what you've laid down here is a model for companies that maybe don't know how to participate in philanthropy that that they can kind of model what you guys are doing at spin management experts and deploy it because that's you know that can be a relatively low cost way of doing it just allowing your people to engage with the philanthropies that they want to is a simple start so uh, thanks for laying that out absolutely all right jamie i'm dying to hear about this because i when i interpreted wellness right in the center for black women's wellness i did not interpret it the way i think Kari explained it. So I would love to understand more about what the organization is about, its mission, and, and some of the challenges that you address and some of the success, successes that you've seen or, or enhanced. You know, I've been at the Center for Black Women's Wellness a long time, and I do agree. A lot of times we have this notion of health that we don't realize how broad that definition is. And the Center for Black Women's Wellness, we really do our work in three areas. One is that we are really intentional about providing quality, accessible health care for those who need it the most. And so we define kind of underserved as anyone who traditionally hasn't been served due to whether it's lack of income, lack of health insurance, or even just, you know, they are fearful of the traditional health care system and for whatever reason they just have not sought health care. And so it's really critical and important to us that at our very core, that our mission is to improve the health and well-being of underserved black women and their families. And I think when COVID hit, uh, a lot of people began to, for the first time, when people were hearing about these disparities in terms of black and brown communities being 
disproportionately impacted by COVID. It was, they didn't realize that there were so many other health issues that were just disproportionately impacting black and brown communities. Um, and it's something that we have been addressing head on for a long time and we are keenly aware of and we want to make an impact. And so we do, we use mid-level practitioners and we provide health care for those who lack insurance um, and are, again, 200% or below the federal poverty level. So we provide compassionate care in a very thoughtful, holistic way. We do well-woman care, and then we also use volunteers, volunteer health care providers who offer free primary care and chronic disease management for women and men who mm. have no insurance. So it's interesting because oftentimes men come to us because of the women in their lives, because, you know, as women, we leave no one out. <laughs> uh, and so uh, around 25% of the patients that we serve and who we are managing for diabetes and hypertension happen to be the men who women bring along <laughs> to, to get health care. So we've got a team of paid staff, a, a team of volunteer providers um, who provide an awesome service and care uh, just because they love to do it. Uh, we complement that with a variety of um, health education. So everything from those who may be, have prediabetes, we're doing diabetes prevention programs. We do a lot around breast health, so we partner with folks like Northside Hospital who brings their mobile mammography unit, and we are pro providing mobile mammograms to women who need it. We uh, do community-based HIV testing. You know, so there's just an array of health promotion services and healthcare services that are provided to those who need it the most. Really kind of making that connection about when you provide compassionate care, regardless of, of income and, and insurance status, it matters, and health outcomes improve. So in addition to that healthcare space, we're also looking at issues such as economic well-being, right? And so Kari talked about that, like, how can you care about your health and do something about your health if you don't even have the economic stability to do so? You can't make these healthcare choices if you have no income. So we really work with low to moderate income women who have a small home-based business idea, and we are training them. We're doing financial literacy. We're doing self-employment training. So these are women who already may be baking cakes and, you know, they may be selling, doing clothes, and they're doing all kinds of great things, you know, graphic design. But it's like, you know, how do we help them take that to the next level and really have that peer-to-peer -peer support that's needed to gain the confidence and to, you know, gain, gain all these skills to take it to the next level to be more economically self-sufficient for yourself and your children and your family and your community. And then the third pillar really is around maternal and child health. And that is work that we've been doing for a long time around how do we make sure that women are are healthy and well before, during, and after pregnancy. Many don't know that in Atlanta, the health disparities as it relates to maternal mortality and infant mortality are horrific. That black women are three to four times more likely to die um, uh, due to a pregnancy-related death than white women. Wow. And it, yeah, I mean, it is like there have been some high-profile cases in the, in the past few years. I mean, if you think about how Serena Williams talked about how, you know, she kept at telling them something was wrong and no one seemed to be listening. Um, but there are some, you know, um, high-profile cases of women who are well-educated, professional black women who just felt like they were not being heard, and they really had some poor birth outcomes. 
So we've been dealing with these issues of infant mortality and maternal mortality for quite a while. Um, and what we do is that we have home visitors who go in the homes. They are working with moms during pregnancy. They are making sure that they're getting prenatal care. They are linking them to needed health and social services. They are making sure that they have pediatric care for their children. If there are issues related to housing, to workforce development, to whatever it may be, they're really that touch point. They often think of them as like a mentor um, or like a big sister. Many of these, we call them family support specialists. They're walking alongside these women until baby is 18 months. That's the beauty of this program because that way it's like making sure that you are healthy and you have gotten your needs taken care of so that the next time you're pregnant, you're more likely to have a positive birth outcome. So, you know, in sum, when I, you know, think about the work and I think about the totality of how we're looking at health and well-being, it really is about your physical health, your economic health, and also that mental and emotional health. When Kari talks about um, the support that they, we were so fortunate to get from the Atlanta Women's Foundation, that was a two-year grant opportunity that helped us really build out our mental health program. And so what we did was we made sure that while clinical care is happening and we're taking care of the physical health needs, that we're actually bringing in a therapist who's able to do individual therapy once a week during clinic time. That's now been expanded to do group therapy. And as I was sharing with Kari um, yesterday, you know, we've been doing some innovative things, especially during this pandemic and people just being more stressed out. I mean, who's not stressed out? Right. And so not everybody, you know, may want to go to a therapist, but there are things we could do like yoga. There are some things around mindfulness. And we're talking about providing this, you know, a virtual flat platform, of course, but for women who may never have thought <laughs> to do yoga. I mean, we're talking about underserved women who were nine times out of 10, not going to a gym, not going to, you know, you know, and they've got, you know, all these issues that we talked about before in terms of childcare, you know, well, now being at home, a lot of times, you know, your child could be in another room like mine is now, and you could, you know, get on Zoom and these platforms. And you have more opportunities to learn mindfulness techniques and really practice self-care. So, you know, we're just so grateful for the Atlanta Women's Foundation because it enabled us to pilot that project and, again, expand our view and our intentionality around the delivery of health care and health services for the underserved. And, you know, we're just really grateful because at the end of the day, while Atlanta has a lot of needs, uh, there's so many assets. You know, there are the philanthropic community and foundations like the Atlanta Women's Foundation and companies, corporations like, you know, that Jordana mentioned that, you know, really had that philanthropic heart and spirit. Like, I think when we come together, that's when the magic happens, right? I mean, there's need, and in this time of COVID, there's even more need, but there's so many assets, and there's such a, when we have the will to do more and to be intentional about how we provide care and support and resources, we all win. Uh, we all win. So it's not a matter of if we change healthcare for underserved black women, someone loses. No, we all win. You know, we all gain from that. And so it's important that there are, you know, these community-based nonprofits who are really intentional and different, who are trusted in their communities to be able to deliver care in a way that's sensitive, that's thoughtful, um, and compassionate. So, um, you know, I just, you know, as a New Yorker who moved to Atlanta, that's, this is why I love it, because there's just so much good happening here. 
so much kindred spirits and good yeah. stuff from that we've heard from from uh, this panel here over the last uh, half hour or so. And and the good news is is uh, it's like y'all reading my mind of where we were going next and and get a fuller deeper impact on or, or understanding of how, not only how you work together but but the overall impact and and the need. And so for the sake of time, what I want to do is January is Poverty Awareness Month here in the state. So, Kari, I want to circle back to you, and then I want to get all of y'all to weigh in here, uh, you know, whether the needs, you know, the reason why we, it's a shame we have to have, frankly, a Poverty Awareness Month. It's great that we have it, but it's a shame that there's a need to have to have that here in the States where there's so much wealth and, and resources and whatnot. But, Kari, if you could, you know, speak to why that's important from uh, the AWF standpoint, and then also I want to get Jamia and uh, Jordana to weigh in on overall impact from what you've seen firsthand from the Atlanta Women's Foundation, your involvement there. So, Kari, weigh in if you would. Gosh, poverty is it's everywhere. It's um, in, in Atlanta, 80% of the poverty is in the suburbs. Everybody thinks it's in downtown Atlanta next to the bridge, but it's actually in literally your back yard, your neighbors, it's, it's everywhere. And so, you know, trying to create some um, awareness and understanding for some of the, the systemic barriers that, um, that these, these people face and how to, you know, it's important that the community understands how to help and things to, to look for and different ways to support our community. When we can help lift those folks out of poverty, it's better for the it's better for our whole community. Once they they you know secure employment, for example, then they become you know economically stable. But guess what? They're also becoming taxpayers, and you know if there's a whole economic impact, there's a psychological impact, there's the emotional impact of of poverty. Poverty is is trauma, and so that's part of why you know we believe so much you know in this mental health support that we've been doing in the community. And it's, it takes lots of different forms. Poverty does. It, there's um, generational poverty. Sometimes there's situational poverty. COVID is probably going to create a lot of situational poverty. People, are, we, we talk about sometimes people are just one kind of tragedy, one, you know, something catastrophe from finding themselves, you know, in, in a poverty scenario. Middle class, it just could be, you know, one thing. And there you are. Um, one job loss, one one illness. So, you know, there's, uh, there's, there's a lot, a lot that we feel like the community really needs to understand. And so, you know, during that, during that month, we'll have lots of, you know, information out on social media about different ways to help and statistics and, you know, and the did you know, you know, for women, it's not just them, they're the children are with them. And so it's a little different than men who find themselves in poverty, because it's often it's, they don't have their kids, not always, but typically it you know impacts women disproportionately. So yeah, so January Poverty Awareness Month, um, we just hope the community will um, have an aha moment and maybe something that strikes them and and inspires them to get involved and and help make change. Outstanding, uh, yeah. Challenging assumptions you, you never know right under your nose how folks are suffering. And you mentioned data points really quick, according to the uh, U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development, any given night. 40,000 veterans are homeless any given night coast to coast. That is an absolute crying shame. And, you know, based on what numbers you look at, 10 to 15, maybe as high as 20% of veterans are women. So, all right. So, Jordana, uh, would love for you to weigh in on whether it's the 
Poverty Awareness Month in January, or other examples of real impact you've seen these two organizations have? I think I can, uh, I can speak to this from a couple of different um, facets. First off, by participating in the Inspire Atlanta class, one of the things profoundly impacted me was to take off that lens of preconceived notion of, you know, that person that you may see on a street corner or somebody that you may not see, to Kari's point, that again is, you know, one paycheck away, one incident away from something happening. You don't know why somebody is in the situation they are in and is oftentimes probably not what you have, what are you, what you are preconceiving. So give a helping hand when you can, be compassionate. I have three teenagers. I'm always telling them, you know, give back and help. And that doesn't always have to be by giving finances or even by necessarily giving your time. Be a right. kind person, give a kind word. What I have seen, you know, firsthand just from being at the numbers too big to ignore luncheons and seeing the great impact across the city and then also seeing what our Inspire class was able to do, the, the money that we raised, I know, partway through our class process, there were six emergency grants that were given to existing grantee partners to continue the incredible work that they were doing. The, the additional money and the remaining funds that we raised will continue to be granted for initiatives in 2021. So it's going to keep giving. They're going to keep bringing in women that want to be philanthropic leaders who are going to raise money that can help them to continue to give back to these incredible organizations. And I just am truly mind blown by the giving spirit of the individuals that work at these grantee partners because look everybody like you said has been touched by COVID in some way and again to see them just open their doors even wider to give more to do more even when they had less to find mm -hmm. a way to do it is just truly truly incredible i know that i will continue to stay involved in atlanta women's foundation because it's so very important but also because I, I just truly believe in it. It makes me feel good about how I go about my day and do my other things to know that I can continue to give back. And I just think by changing these women's lives, I mean, doing something for them that allows them to change their lives and take control of their life in a different way, it changes things generationally. And that's what Atlanta Women's Foundation is all about. It's going to change the face of what our community looks like if we're able to continue to support them in doing good in our community. Excellent point. And to our listeners, two quick points there to follow up on what she just what all our panels been sharing. Number one, just because it's a pandemic environment doesn't mean the need that these really valuable nonprofits serve goes away. Right? Nothing shuts down the need. In fact, as as the panel speaking to, it only becomes greater, and it can oftentimes not present company not included can be ch more challenging for for them to get the resources they need to serve the enhanced need. And then uh, number two, if you're listening to this conversation from another part of the world, hey, benchmark. Be like these three organizations here. You know, found a Calgary Women's Foundation or whatever or a Center for, for Black Women's Wellness in another part of the country. So great benchmarking opportunities here. Move Calgary, to, I like that. Uh, <laughs> for some reason, the first one that came to mind. A lot more warm coats in the givings there, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. That's right. <laughs> Jamie, let's talk about impact you've seen from the uh, center standpoint or speak to the Poverty Awareness Month in January. Yeah, well, I will just um, piggyback a little because because when Jordana talked about removing these preconceived notions of poverty, I, I completely agree. You know, when I when I think about so many of the women that I've, I've met and touched and just a, an example of, you know, a few years ago, I remember a woman who came through our doors 
that she had been a caregiver for her mom. Her mom had just passed. She was married for a number of years, just got divorced. She just lost her job. Therefore, she just lost her health insurance. And she knew she valued getting, you know, a well woman visit each year. And she knew she needed to get care, but just kind of didn't know where to go because, you know, all these things happened. And she was recent, recently moved to Atlanta and all these things happened. And so she somehow found out about us and came to us. And I will never forget, she said, you know, I just can't thank you all enough because I, you know, regard, you know, I was treated with dignity and respect. And that really resonates with me always, this notion of dignity and respect, because we all want that, right? We all deserve that. And it just, it's like these life circumstances that can happen that just we can slip into a situation where we need help and need support. So I, that just resonated with me. I just wanted to share that we, we cannot have these preconceived notions about why people are in need of support. And in times like this of COVID, it's, even, it's going to be even more dire. You know, some of the work just talking about impact um, that we've been doing due to COVID, we realized that what we needed to do was kind of, uh, because we were a trusted voice in the community, that there were two things that we wanted to do to respond to need. Um, and we, were, we put it out there in the atmosphere to funders, and we were able to raise funds to develop our own COVID relief Fund. And what we did was we were doing two things. One was around ensuring access to health care, you know, in spite of this, because we knew more people would be uninsured. We also, you know, had some disruptions to our own clinical services. And so we needed to accelerate implementing telehealth so we could begin, you know, continue to provide care and make sure that our patients were able to monitor their underlying conditions. And so we wanted to do the telehealth, but we also were providing things like blood pressure cuffs and test, A1C testing strips to those who had diabetes so that they could actually do some their remote monitoring in combination with their telehealth. We were also giving gift cards for people to be able to get um, medication assistance to get some of their medications. Then the second thing we wanted to make sure was that we were able to help stabilize households through essential needs. And so we began doing some things around, you know, utility assistance and rent and mortgage assistance. And through the generous donations of, of, of many, we had infant supplies that we were able to give our moms and, you know, hygiene kits. And so, you know, and that goes without saying, I mean, Vector Global Logistics, you know, just gave us a, a one through Atlanta Women's Foundation, a wonderful donation of PPE. So, it, you know, it's like all of that, you know, helps. So in a sense, in that way, by folks reaching out, we're all contributing to this impact that's happening in communities. And in this time, more than ever, you know, we can feel good about that coming together to make impact in, um, in communities and that have been so hard hit and that were already kind of on this cliff prior to COVID. Jamie, you use, you use the key word. This is the word that activates me and that's contribute. So first of all, I appreciate all of your perspectives there. And you know, and I think about the awakenings that I have had or I've seen people have when they experience organizations like yours and the people that they serve on a day-to-day -day basis, face-to-face. -face. And it's so powerful for them as well, as well as those that are uplifted and enabled by organizations like uh, yours. So let's give folks an opportunity to participate or contribute or whatever is your greatest need. And Jamie, let's start with you. Tell us what is the most valuable need that someone who wants to get involved could do or could serve, I should say, and, and how would they get involved? 
they could go to our website because we do have a volunteer page. Definitely love working with volunteers. Right now we have a need for more volunteer healthcare professionals to do the work around telehealth, telemedicine. But we also, you know, once we can get back to more of that face-to-face environment that we all look forward to, there'll be times where we need volunteers for special events and things of that nature. So, you know, certainly volunteers for in-kind contributions. That's always, you know, wonderful. I gave the example of the PPE. And then, of course, you know, as a community-based nonprofit, you know, any support is appreciated. And we just love partnering with folks and creating and spreading awareness about the issues um, that impact underserved women. So our website is cbww.org, C as in center, B as in black, www.org. And, you know, we're very active on social media, too. So check us out. And we just appreciate all the support and the commitment um, out here in, in, in the community. Thank you. That just gave me a couple of great ideas. I'll be texting a couple of my neighbors. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Retired doctors. Right. They got nothing else to do, right? Okay. <laughs> all right, Kari. So what's the most valuable way to get involved with your organization? and How do they do so? Well, you know, it's interesting, again, it's time of COVID, it's, everything's so different. Um, typically in the spring is when we do our, we do a series of fundraising events, um, in addition to the Inspire Atlanta program. So, you know, getting involved, it would have been, you know, helping us uh, be event, event volunteers or participating in Inspire. Again, that's a great program uh, for the 2021 class, we're already closed, so if anyone's interested, certainly could go to our website and learn about what we'll be doing for 2022. The, kind of the best way to support us is honestly right now is just with financial commitments. Um, that's so helpful as we, you know, take that and, and pass that along to, to the community. So. And where can they do that? At atlantawomen.org. Thank you very much. Okay, and the numbers luncheon, um, hopefully next year, we'll be back in the fall, um, back at the World Congress Center. I don't know how we normally get 1,800 people in the room, so <laughs> I don't know what be a big with, room. with new COVID, um, how that will how that will go. But anyway, so yeah, hopefully we can see people in October for, um, for that great gathering. All right, Jordana, I'm I'm gonna twist the question slightly, and since we've mentioned so many of the organizations that you're working with too, but maybe you could give guidance to companies or individuals in a a simple or the most effective way you've seen people get involved in these kind of organizations? You know, of course, throw my hat in the ring for Atlanta Women's Foundation because I'm so personally passionate about it. I think, you know, for anybody that's looking right now, the need is expansive. It's everywhere. If there is something that you're passionate about or somebody that you think's in need, reach out, offer to help them, try and help them. You know, if you don't have a philanthropic arm in your company, there's no reason why you can't ask why that can't be an opportunity going forward. I think work-life balance is so important, has always been so important now more than ever when everybody is pretty much working virtually and therefore on 24-7. Knowing that you work in a place that believes in giving back makes you want to work harder. I am so proud of the, you know, companies that we've been able to support or the charitable organizations that we've been able to support that has always been met with a kind ear and, hey, what can we do and how should we support them and can we give a donation and, you know, when we're able to volunteer, can we volunteer? But I think, you know, if it's something you want to see in your company and it's not there, bring it up with, you know, the appropriate people. See if it's something that maybe they just haven't thought about yet. But personally, 
do something, something that makes you feel good. And like I said, that do something can just be like offering a kind word to somebody you think is suffering. Check in on a friend that you know is going through a tough time. Bring them dinner. That's all philanthropy. It doesn't have to look like just volunteer hours and, you know, Check, donations right? that right. give you a, a tax benefit. It, it's it's just be a good, kind, compassionate person. I think, you know, that's that's what I'm trying to do every day as much as I can. That's a simple place to start. Thank you for that. We've talked a lot about 2020 and COVID and how those kind of events have impacted each of you, you know, in your respective disciplines. But if you think about 2020 or COVID or any other sort of catalyst or act event that has, has impacted the year, any eureka moments, epiphanal moments, or just uh, discoveries that you would take away? Uh, Kari, let's start with you on that front. You know, I guess the, the thing that has been a eureka moment for me in all of this is that there are silver linings. It's been so hard. Everybody has a different version of how this has impacted them, um, you know, their, their family. Just there's, there's so many. It's been, it's been so hard for so many people. But there have been silver linings. And, you know, sometimes it's early when this first thing started. And I'm, you know, I'm an, I am a pretty outgoing extroverted person. And sitting confined in this my little home office here, this used to be a little extra room. We had a, I've got a camping, you know, table set up for a desk here. <laughs> and finally had to, I was on a, on a um, dining room chair for the longest time. And I said, this isn't going to work. I finally went yeah. to the office and got my wheelchair. But anyway, you know, early on, I had lunch on the back deck with my kids, and we actually watched during the spring a bird nest, and we watched, you know, little eggs hatch, these little, um, you know, robins. And wow. I would never have had that hadn't been for, for COVID. And so, so you know, I do think that there are silver linings. It's been hard. It's what's coming after this for our, our communities and our society a lot of work to be done. The impact of COVID will be, is, has been huge and it will be long lasting with a lot of hard things. But for me, I think, you know, I think that's one thing that if you, if you just take a moment and kind of reflect on what, what did you get to do that you wouldn't have or time that you could never get back. I mean, again, the, lots of stories with my kids having been a working mom for, you know, all of their lives. There were just some things that were really special um, being able to being able to do and, and experience. Um, there's a quote from um, Melody Godfrey that um, it was on Oprah's list of some, a quote that she posted on one of her social media um, sites. And I just thought I'd share it. She says, I thought 2020 would be the year I got everything I wanted. And now I know 2020 is the year I appreciate everything I have. That's really good. Thank you. All right, Jordana, since 2020 just happened to Jamia, I'm going to ask you second. <laughs> I'm going to ask you second. You know, given what sure. what this year has been like, what any epiphanies or eureka moments, anything like that? I think I would echo a lot of what Kari said. Three active teenagers. We never 
you know, are around all together. We've had a lot more family time. I mean, so much so in the beginning that you wish you didn't like, we were, well, we were probably like six weeks in and my husband said at one point, he's like, what's for dinner tonight? And I said, who cares? Can everybody just make a sandwich? Like we haven't had this many family dinners together and I don't know how long and why do we need to cook something else? Um, but all kidding aside, you know, just some more family time with my teens who will sooner rather than later, you know, be out on their own. And I think really trying to live my life through a, a lens of gratitude. And, and I have to say that the INSPIRE program, in particular, the poverty simulation, which happens early on in our class, just allowed me to stop, take a moment, and realize all of the things that I was taking for granted that are so similar, but create tremendous barriers for other people. So I've been trying, especially during COVID, where you know so much has happened, it's been brutal for everybody, like you know, everybody has been saying is that I'm extremely grateful for what I have. I'm grateful for the bad things I've been through this year because it allows me to be, you know, to, to be more grateful for what I have now. But again, trying to live my life through a lens of gratitude in general, because you just don't know what's around the next corner and what's going to be happening next. So just be grateful for the time you have, the people you have and everything you have in your life. Real quick, I am not grateful for the hole in my roof that has that we've been patching for months now. But Jordana, everything else, so well stated. Uh, that's why Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday. No gifts, just focus on good food, family, and and gratefulness. So well said. I probably should sound off at this point, but I'm going to wait. So Jamie, <laughs> let's give you a shot at this again, since 2020 did just happen to you uh, yet again. Yes, it did. Um, <laughs> Tell us about any eureka moments or, or self-discoveries or world discoveries that you'd like to share. I think, you know, some of the discoveries, like everyone else, I have, I have uh, one child, he's, he's seven. And so this has certainly, you know, what, what certainly started out as a very, very, very stressful time, you know, when schools closed and everything was going on. You know, the silver lining was just that, that time and opportunity for more connectedness. Um, it was a scary time. Our, my husband, uh, you know, is a, is a firefighter. So he, in the beginning, I was just so stressed out, just concerned for his safety. Um, and over time, you know, it's gotten so normalized, unfortunately, this new normal that I, I don't have the, the same fears, which is, which is a good thing for my own sanity. But it does, again, I'm just so grateful um, for family. Uh, and grateful for the, the staff, too. I think that for a staff, I mean, we're a very tight-knit group um, that work together. Uh, and, you know, when you're in direct service, I mean, you know, we're used to that face-to-face. -face. You and I, we're a high-touch, low-tech organization. So we're used to a lot of time with each other and a lot of time with clients and, and patients. And so in the absence of being able to do that um, and doing most of everything that we're doing is virtual, still being innovative and, and finding ways to connect with staff in a virtual environment and, and it, again, this intentionality around self-care and just compassion and care for one another uh, because, you're, you know, you're, you're, your folks that you work with, they are an extension of your family in a way, you know, the good, the bad, the ugly, uh, and you certainly begin, you know, even the times when you, you know, uh, get on each other's nerves, there's a, a deeper appreciation for just the, all the humanity in it, right? I mean, like, we're all flawed. We're, we all <laughs> have our quirks. 
but yet, you know, we, we show love nonetheless because life is short and life is tenuous. And, and this, this pandemic has taught us that. Mm. Uh, and so it, um, there's, it, um, there's beauty in us all coming together. Well said. Amen. Outstanding. Well, really appreciate y'all's time here today. Uh, it's been such an informative conversation. And I know that we couldn't get to everything that y'all are involved with and, and all the wonderful initiatives, but, you know, at least from my end, got a really a great sense of the real impact, the real way y'all, each of you three in your respective organizations are moving the needle to address all the need that there is out there. And it, it is so tremendous. So hopefully our listeners will find ways of, of jumping in and, and supporting the effort. I'm going to go around the horn real quick just to reshare your URL. Of course, we'll put that in the show notes. Uh, let's stick with Jamia. Tell us your URL again. CBWW.org. Perfect. Just as easy as that. Uh, Jordana? www.spendmgmt.com. Perfect. And really appreciate what uh, great, you know, to do what these nonprofits do, it takes great corporate, private sector partners to really invest all those resources you were talking about, which I loved, even the simple things such as what we call around here PTK, patience, tolerance, and kindness, PTK every day. Even those little gestures are, are really appreciated. So really appreciate what you and SME do. And then Kari, one, your, your, your URL once more? Yeah, atlantawomen.org. Perfect. Great. Thank you so much to each of y'all for your, uh, all of what you do, um, what you've shared here, and your real hands-on hands -on leadership out across the community. We've been speaking with Kari Love with the Atlanta Women's Foundation, Jamie Dorsey with the Center for Black Women's Wellness, and Jordana Crow with Spin Management Experts. Thanks to each of you. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you yeah, thank us. you for joining us. All right, Greg. Man, what an outstanding conversation. There, I, I've got uh, that proverbial 19 and a half pages of notes. I had six and a half last time Jordana came back with us. So I'm just adding the second chapter here. But, Greg, before I sign off, one key takeaway from what you heard here. I, I love the confluence of these organizations and also the confluence of physical health and economic health and mental health that, that each of them have such an incredible awareness for and, you know, how they're, how they're facilitating and uh, the elevation of people who are struggling. So I don't know how to put it much more simply than that. <laughs> well, I just the powerful that. stuff, right? Agreed. I just had to go Google what confluence meant. So I think <laughs> that's when three rivers come together. I learned it in Pittsburgh. <laughs> well, I, I love, I love that it, it, it allows you to fit because, you know, there's so many, takeaways and points that are made here and it is to your point a confluence of 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 greater themes here and so we'll have to have this panel back um as we thankfully move into 2021 goodness gracious uh big thanks again to our panel big thanks to my co-host greg white to our audience I'm very grateful that, that uh, you choose to tune in to hear these conversations if you enjoy this conversation make sure you uh, check us out at supply chain now.com find us and subscribe wherever you get your podcast from hey on behalf of Greg and our team here, Scott Luton signing off, but not without challenging our audience like we challenge our team. Do good, give forward, be the change that's needed to be like these three incredible leaders. And on that note, we'll see you next time here on Supply Chain Now. Thanks, everybody.